0: Okay, that's good enough. For the cold open, I would like to read one of my least favorite lines from this wonderful book. Oh man, it's <laughs> possible. I don't know why this one stood out to me. It's not even inherently that bad, it just something about it just didn't didn't sit well. Mr Johnny Truant here. Let's see, what do we got? I wrote a bunch of notes, but I it was like really late at night when I was reading these, so I just wrote like a couple words for the notes. Because I thought we were going to be recording last week, so I, they were fresh in my mind. They are no longer fresh in my mind. So some of this stuff is uh, kind of hilarious. Like this one just says, "I hate Karen, cheater." Cheater. Okay. He is a cheater. Yeah. This one just says, "Brown pants pirate story." Tom is great. <laughs> <laughs> like I did a just a shitty job of writing these notes down. That was awesome. I yeah. Don't know what you're talking about. Oh, it's great, but see, I had it in my mind. Like, I know kind of what it was talking about, because I remember the Tom part, but we'll get into that. Let me read this fucking awful excerpt here. For a moment, I flashed on her body, imagining those beautiful round breasts with creamy brown areolas, making saints out of nipples, her soft, full lips barely hiding her teeth, while in the deep over eyes, her Irish and Spanish heritage keep closing like oxygen and hydrogen, and will probably keep on closing until the very day she dies. <laughs> uh. <laughs> when I've read that, I just groaned, literally just like I did out loud. Just, ugh.
1: Man, that was some quality romantic writing. I don't know what she was talking about.
0: Her nipples are saints? Like, he's worshipping her nipples, I'm guessing? I
1: guess. It's a weird. Thing. I guess. Weirder things to worship on a person, I guess.
0: Yeah, and that whole thing is one sentence. No.
1: Yeah, that seems to be a trend with him. Um, yeah. I,
0: I also... Like I don't want to skip too far ahead here. I don't know how... Right. Hold on, let me see what page I'm on, by the way, because I don't... Matter of fact, we'll, let's do the fucking intro here, and then we'll get into this nonsense. But I just wanted to make that excerpt known how much I dislike it. <laughs> <laughs> fucking sucked. All right. Hey there people, you are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, again from Parts Unknown, Mr. Ashley Hatter. What's up?
1: How's it going, dude?
0: House of fucking leaves, man. It is juicy and not in a way that I like. (laughs) I am on page 423.
1: Let me grab this old freaking brick. (laughs) I stopped at, No, that's not the right one. I was just, I was marking where I hated something.
0: Well, that's probably the whole book then. (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh, yeah. Let's see, I just got to 365 because I was reading that really
1: bad, like, transcript from Karen Green, and then it goes into, like, interviewing Stephen King and David Copperfield and all that bullcrap.
0: Yeah, I thought that was ridiculous and unneeded. Much like most of this book. <laughs> Alright, two things here. One, holy shit, I got loud. Um, one, the basic, the basic thing is this book is one of the most frustrating books I've read. Because normally when a book just sucks, I can just bail on it. But this yeah. book has parts that are so good that you don't want to bail because you want to know what happens in the story. They just don't focus on the fucking story enough. I got to a part not too long ago where Johnny Truant decided to change all the S's in his words to F's and it really really irked me (laughs) (laughs) why why was it necessary to do that like now I finally got when I got to that point I'm like oh Daniel Lewski really was just screwing with people he just wanted to see what could get published there's no other way about it like there's no reason to do that
1: yeah it's like like you said there's some really good storytelling in there but it's few and far between i think honestly he's got his head so far up his ass i'm just you know thinking he's amazing and look at me I'm, I'm challenging all the norms it's like that's cool but maybe you should challenge him one at a time
0: yeah maybe. really
1: like, maybe no more than two at a time because
0: he sacrificed the structure of the story the to be cool and i just don't think it worked too well i mean i guess it worked for him became famous off of it but i would like I told you off-air, I don't really want to read his other work now just because of the way the story's gone.
1: Yeah, I was, I was looking... Uh, before we started this, I was thinking about starting to buy those... a huge tome, it's like 27 volumes or something like that. Yeah, that... Familiar.
0: Yeah, I was looking volume. into that too, but I'm, I'm definitely not doing that now.
1: It's like, nah, I'm
0: good. <laughs> I'll pass. <laughs> I'm going to save this to... Our final episode, which I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and assume it'll probably be the next one we record just because um, it looks like I'm getting to a part that skips a whole bunch of shit. So yeah. I uh, want to save this, but I do want to mention it. One thing I'm definitely going to take away from this book is how I as a writer need to focus more on creating atmosphere because he does that very well when he decides to write well. Um, I also like some of his detail work so I kind of want to focus more but mainly the atmosphere thing I feel like especially even going into horror that might be something a lot of writers especially uh, non-professional writers might gloss over and especially like in the modern that's why I kind of put out on Twitter today asking about you know modern horror because I don't really read modern horror I didn't think about it until now. And I don't know, like, just from what I've read, like, short story collections and stuff, a lot of writers don't focus on atmosphere and horror. And that's, like, the one thing that really makes it a horror, in my opinion. Not just people getting yeah. killed or demons and shit like that. The atmosphere.
1: Yeah, I think uh, way too many people are focusing on uh, the gore porn aspect of it or trying to freak you out or shock you and do shock value. But it's like, if you really want to scare people, you got to get the setting right because... Like when you're a little kid going down into the basement and stuff, it's not seeing an actual monster that creeps you out. It's the whole, you know, you smell the the wet air of the basement, the dark,
0: creaking stairs, everything like that. It's, it's your the atmosphere and the setting you're in that really makes it creepy. And so I'll, I'll definitely give it to to old Mark Z over here saying uh, he got the atmosphere down really well during the staircase. Portions. I thought that, that was amazing. I love that part. Oh, yeah, that that was excellent. And uh, that kind of brings me to a part I wanted to touch on with that staircase. I don't know if you got to it yet, but he has uh, – well, you read it before, so I'm not going to really spoil anything for you. <laughs> Navison, He ha- they go into his dreams a little bit, and it's one of the parts where it's dry, but I did enjoy this aspect. In his one dream – it's uh pretty much like he's in that grand hall everything's black and instead of a staircase it's a well and there's people um milling around there's people sitting on the well and then he went he goes over the well and he sees it's like this water that goes into this endless blackness and what it turns out to be is he'll he watched some people jump into it and when they they sink into the blackness they end up getting taken somewhere else while others don't so he's actually kind of in limbo there i really like that depiction it was like a, almost a, like a station to the other side. It was. It was like a kind of a weird, really cool alternative take on purgatory. But he set it up
1: pretty, pretty well. I don't know that it's even purgatory. Is it like, it's not necessarily saying like the afterlife. It's like
0: I think what they uh, alluded to was that it was. They might have even said it. It was a station, kind of like a waiting station. And he said some of the people there have been there for thousands of years. They don't want to go. They don't. Because you don't know. Once you go into that well, you're either going. I guess would be heaven or hell. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what you know. People would be scared to even try it, so they just stay in that that place for thousands of years, which would be, which also I thought was kind
1: of cool. Yeah, it was like a a really cool metaphor for life and the way people either attack it and go for it into the unknown, and or they sit around the well for thousands of years.
0: (laughs) That's, that's another thing that, that he does that really pisses me off. He has moments in there that are so good just like that. And even though I want to skip some of these footnotes and uh, some of the science gobbledygook, he does throw those things in that are really well written and make you think, and I like that. Like I like the whole thing he had about the um, the minotaur. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if we talked about that the last episode or not, but I really enjoyed the whole minotaur and the labyrinth aspect of it. But of course, that had to be all in red and crossed out which just made me furious like why (laughs) (laughs) you stupid jerk
1: yeah i don't get why i did that that kind of messed up my eyes after a while but I, i did like the minotaur because i mean there's i don't know how many uh allusions to the the groaning and the growling and coming from the labyrinth and all over the house and they try to come up with all these reasons but
0: you know when they're when they're in the maze and stuff they feel like they're being watched and so it kind of gives this this beast feeling to the house I liked it I, I thought that was a really cool illusion King Midas and all that yeah I mean if honestly if I could have it my way the whole story would just be you know that part of the house and maybe the Johnny Truant stuff but nothing none of that other shit I think that would make for a solid read
1: yeah but uh, and even I think the Johnny Truant stuff could be highly trimmed down i I got uh and and I'm getting kind of tired of the the constant sex capades and just like let's list off all the women that uh you know Jude is sleeping with and that I'll sleep with next, and I'll interview them and see exactly how depressing their lives are and
0: that like, oh my God, that really made me feel gross and I mean, just a part of me kind of wants to say, hey, Mr. Johnny Truant, are you like a fucking stud muffin? I mean, you have a broke tooth and... <laughs> like, yeah. how how hot is this guy that he gets these, you know, super rich or supermodel looking chicks or strippers and all... Like, well, how? Just because he tells I mean, good stories? He has burn up arms. I mean, he can't be that attractive.
1: Yeah, I think it, it has something to do with uh, the fact that all of them come from, like, abusive backgrounds or, you know, they were... I... I, I other than Navidson's daughter, I've not found an unbroken or unquote unquote blemished woman that isn't like, oh, I had a horrible history, so now I'm going to harm myself out or cheat on my husband and stuff like that. It's like, gosh, come on. You got to, it's like all these women are perpetual victims and they're living in a perpetual victimhood. And while I get that that happens in the real world, it doesn't happen to 100% of the people that. So it's like, okay, this is kind of getting ridiculous. I'm just going to assume that every woman that he talks to is some sort of sexual victim and then every guy is just taking advantage of every woman in the story. Hey,
0: that on. That's really how it plays out. I mean, even Karen's character, who I just absolutely despise, by the way, yeah. she, um like, they go into her infidelity a lot and stuff. And the way it's written, too, is like, Navison's super faithful. So it just makes you even makes you want to dislike the character even more she's definitely my least favorite character in this whole book but they've tried to explain it away by the long drawn out chapter about her childhood or what makes her tick i guess and again she's abused and all this shit it's like why did these women like does daniel lewski realize that not every person that's abused turns out to be a drug addict a whore uh you know (laughs) Your typical stereotype stripper. It, it's not necessary, but he wrote every single character like that almost.
1: Yeah, and I've, I've yet to meet a, a character in here that's a dude that isn't just a total scusbag. Like other than Davidson, but the Davidson project in this book isn't technically real <laughs> because of was blind and all of that. So yeah. Like, the only good person in this, like morally decent person in this book, isn't even real in the book. <laughs>
0: so yeah. You know, no. Uh, even if you forget that for a second, the only character that I felt was um, well fleshed out in a positive light, even though he has negative char- characteristics, is uh, Navison's brother, Tom. Yeah. Because I'm Tom sure. is like kind of the eternal optimist. He has, a, but he's an alcoholic. He has a drinking problem. He has a lot of issues. But at the same time, he is like the only positive character, it really seems. Like, I mean, Navison, but he's obsessive. And, yeah. you know, he neglects his family for work. So, I mean, he doesn't. he's written in a way where, you know, he's a cool adventure explorer guy. But at the same time, if you were married to that guy, you, you'd you be pissed off, too. Yeah. So, I, I could see that aspect. But, like, Tom was, well, I guess Reston, too, the guy in the wheelchair, he was pretty solid.
1: He was, he was interesting. I, I thought he was, I don't know. I, I think if you were developed a lot more or if there was more time spent on his story... That I would have
0: enjoyed it yeah they didn't go in he was just kind of a side character yeah it was
1: just kind of all of a sudden there like oh he was this that. I was like oh okay alright then I can get behind wheelchair guys I like Professor Xavier from X-Men that's
0: cool <laughs> pretty much uh, he uh yeah he was okay I mean they made him I like that what I liked about him and especially Tom's character were that even when they were scared especially Tom because he wanted to run that's what he did his whole life, run away from problems, and he did not. He faced them and ultimately it led to his demise, but he was the actual hero hero in this story so far.
1: Yeah, I was I was pretty
0: pissed when he died, but it was it was a good way for him to go. I mean, he's saving the kids, saving the family and everything.
1: And I was like, dude, you're gonna go out. <laughs> I mean that's that's a redemptive arc if ever I've seen
0: one. Um, even when he was uh like, when they were him, Reston, and Navison go into the Great Hall and they go down that endless stairwell to the bottom, and uh, which we'll touch on the, what the actual stair not necessarily what it is, but how it's crafted. You know, Reston, who's in the wheelchair, obviously it's going to be difficult for him to go down the stairs, but he still does, him and Navison, Tom won't go because he's scared. So they make it kind of seem that, you know, maybe Tom's the coward, he's unreliable, but he could easily run away, especially cause he gets stuck up there for days while they're down there and he can go back to the comforts of the house whenever he wants. He's the only one that's kind of in a safe spot. He doesn't, he fights for them and stays there and they have the good bit about him telling the, you know, the cheap jokes. <laughs> I love those. Yeah. I love, every one of those was great. Like the one that stuck out to me was that the pirate one where, uh, what was it he the captain wears a red shirt because if he gets shot it won't show the blood so the it won't unnerve the you know the fellow pirates <laughs> and then there's like big cannons or something coming their way and he's like he yells for the first lieutenant or whatever or the first mate to grab his brown pants yeah, <laughs> like, classic. yeah that, that was good and he had a good dose of humor not only in the story but it was actually used because a lot of uh, writers will throw in the funny character. To kind of ease the tension and stuff, but Tom's was actually used as a defense mechanism to fight his fear and everything else. You know, he called the growling thing in the in the house um, the big monster or something along those lines. Mr. Monster. Mr. Monster. Yeah. So he used even near the end, he used um, comedy as you know a defense mechanism and kind of a crutch. So I really yeah. like that development of his character. And it turned out he wasn't the coward. Like we said, he was the actual hero of the whole story. In, in my opinion, the most likable of characters.
1: Uh, I'll say one character that I absolutely hated was Holloway.
0: But you were supposed to hate Holloway. He was an yeah, egotistical I, I, douche. I know, but sometimes you can, you can get away with liking a villain even though you hate him at the same time.
1: I had nothing but like loathing and contempt for that douchebag. I was like, I hate everything about
0: you. Hitting on Navison's <laughs> wife in front of him trying to establish yeah. dominance and be the man in the house. I like how that was written, but I wanted to, I wanted that guy to get the worst death and he didn't get the worst death, which pissed me off. <laughs> like, he should have got eaten by something.
1: <laughs> yeah, Oh, well, I mean, it kind of touched on that, didn't
0: it? He went like, mad yeah. and shot himself. Well, it's like, like yeah, I know he died that way, but it's, uh, you know, like the house start, it, it's kind of depicted that it devours his corpse or something like that, or, I don't know. What well, made, made me...
1: <clears throat>
0: what upset me uh, upset me most about his character arc was that like he's written okay he's not going to be a likable guy and uh, they go into his backstory in the scientific journal bullshit but he um, you know he was the adventurer and it goes into like when he was a f- football player when he's young and all this stuff so they get they built his I felt his character was uh, his personality and what makes him tick was uh, built very well but the whole him going to conquer everything and then he decides, you know, he's got to kill everybody and go crazy and all this shit. It's like he could have easily got out of that situation, though. Like, I didn't understand why that happened, necessarily.
1: Yeah, it's uh, for – I'm trying to think of the words for this. It's uh, It was frustrating because it was such an immediate decline. It wasn't like a gradual descent into madness or irrational. Accident. It was
0: just all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, it was just like, oh, well, you know, I'm a big macho guy, I can hit on men's wives in front of them and everything like that. And then all of a sudden, oh, the house is evil, it's staring at face, I need to kill everyone, the gray, kind of like, okay, that kind of came out of nowhere, were you
0: just like a sitting sociopath just waiting for a chance to, like, I don't know. That's kind of how they that explained of- it later on, It was that he was just a sociopath, I guess. Like, it was going to be almost predetermined that he was going to kill somebody at some point, just given the chance. Like, that was stupid. Like that was yeah. to me that was kind of a maybe a cop out. To just he maybe didn't know what to do with those three in there. I don't know. Let's see. They had um. I mean, like going back, to touching on the, the the stairway because you know the place moves and expands and shrinks and all this stuff. In the stairway, uh, what I liked about it is almost it was like a manifestation of what the person's mind who was in there because you know maybe for Tom it looks like it's endless because he's scared to go down there, but navison who's not scared it's not that long or you know it seems shorter and then you have um like when you go into a place the that place the first time it's like when you're a kid everything looks so much bigger than it really is but then when you go back again and you're kind of comfortable and you recognize things it's not that big anymore Mm -hmm. so that was neat how he did that
1: yeah i I thought that was interesting
0: again you know what i i just pinpointed why i fucking don't like this book so far for the most part It's because every other chapter is just long info dumps. Which, you know, as a writer, one thing they always say, don't just throw in a random info dump in a book. If you can, do it as a dialogue or something like that. He has whole chapters dedicated to just info dumps. He just tells you everything that happened or the reason why it happened. It's like, come on, man.
1: Yeah, I I made a note um, and... I think the reason he, uh, he formatted it like this was to try to get the reader to experience what Johnny Trudeau was going through, by right? going through the Navison record and everything to kind of make the story alive in a way. Uh, to me, it just, it didn't work because I'm not, while, while reading a book is an experience and you do experience these awesome characters and settings and you have an emotional reaction to everything. Like, if I'm looking for some alternative art or something, I'm going to go down to the art museum or go to an indie film festival or something where that's what's, you know, uh, that's a more appropriate medium or throw in some weird music. But when you're reading a book, I mean, it has to be a story. Just like you
0: wouldn't record an entire CD of, like, silence and people <laughs> dancing in the background. It's like, well, no, that's, that's not music. There needs to be at least something there. And there, there are glimmers of a story in here, like you said. It's definitely not enough cost to constitute like fifty-pound book. What this um, what this book reminds me of is kind of like the Blair Witch. And if they uh, say the Blair Witch, um, you had the original, just the found footage that it was supposed to be. But then, if they decided to make that movie where most of it was documenting, like a documentary about the Blair Witch then that that's kind of what this book would read as like some found footage and then everything you know for the readers who haven't checked this out it's just like you're reading a documentary about the Blair Witch and then you also get some points of the Blair Witch in there and that is that's not fun if you're of a certain mind frame or age maybe this book would hit you different like we talked about previously but for me it's not hitting the right notes I'm not I'm not feeling Johnny Truant, I'm not getting his experience, I'm just, I get bored.
1: It's, uh, it's similar to my reaction to uh, Chuck Blah, stuff, especially the book Haunted. it. It was like, he wrote that book to be edgy and shock value and all that, and, I mean, that's gonna appeal to, like, teens and young adults that maybe haven't experienced life, maybe they've had a sheltered life or whatever, but after you've been out in the real world and you've read some things and go back and read it this is my experience right now it's just like why the crap did I like this in the first place like <laughs> this is just man that was stupid personal
0: growth dude I hated haunted <laughs> like, yeah it, it was terrible um I thought all the stories in there were terrible like you said it was just gore for gore but if I read that when I was in seventh grade I probably you know it's like south park Scrody mcbooger balls I would think it was the greatest <laughs> fucking thing ever written <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is awesome! It's got everything I want: guts, throwing up, poop. Like, <laughs> if that's all you know when you're at that age. You haven't had experiences, but when you actually live some shit, you're like, no, this this life isn't like this. This is stupid. Yeah. Not not to mention every character in there was awful. I talk about how I don't like some of the characters in here. Every character in that book was terrible. Yeah, that's
1: that's, that's the exact same reaction I had to uh, that that uh, one novel the vegetarian that I read. I, I read like seventy pages and I gave up. Just all the characters are terrible. Uh you like none of you have any <laughs> preventive qualities. It's like you start and then you continue talking. It's like just just stop. Just stop where you're ahead. Let me like you for a little bit.
0: Just a little bit. I just need yes. just a little.
1: I just need a little Ooh, baby.
0: <laughs> um there was a couple parts that I thought were pretty cool in this. I like the uh, SOS through the wall when um, I forget who it was. Somebody was pounding. Maybe it was Holloway pounding on the wall or something. But on the inside, the actual house, it came out as like a SOS. Uh, mm-hmm. That was neat. I forget who said this line again. I just wrote notes, but I didn't have. <laughs> yeah, but somebody wrote about uh, even explorers refused to ask for directions. I <laughs> kind of like that. Yeah, it was kind of a. I hit on just, you know, men never asking for directions. I'm sure that was one of the lady folks. Maybe Karen was being snarky or something. It's Karen. Karen. Um, Such a Karen. I, I really liked when, um, you know, Jed, he has, I think, Wax who gets, he got shot. He, they're running from Holloway and they end up in the little rooms or corridors or something. And then uh, yeah. they think there's a monster on the other side of the door pounding on the door and then later on i think it skips a few chapters i forget how long exactly but when it gets back to it it's uh navison and reston who came to rescue them but it was like yeah. a big gap in time it seemed like but i guess it wasn't so that was really cool yeah
1: that was really nifty and i liked uh how the um that corridor doors uh I, i'm not a huge fan i can appreciate the the formatting quite a bit um because it is interesting, even if it's horrible for storytelling, it's still fun to, to get your hands on and experience firsthand. Um, but one area where I liked the formatting was when the the doors in that corridor were shutting between like Holloway and Wax and all them. And uh, it was just because it was like every single page is one of the doors shutting. and It just gave you that feeling of, 'Cause you're slamming the pages as you go, it's like, Oh, that was cool.
0: Yeah, I like that. That was pretty sweet. He has like I said, the formatting worked for me in certain moments. If it wasn't for the pages and pages of list that you won't ever read, or list in Italian, or list of random names, or, you know, squares that have lists of just random household items, like all that stuff. That was stupid. Like it just I don't know if it was supposed to make you feel claustrophobic reading it or Make your mind cluttered as you read it, but I I didn't enjoy that. I have a note here, and I don't remember what it what it is. Uh, in regards to something about the Holocaust in the house, it's on page one eighty nine. Uh, uh, rushing over. One eighty nine. See. It was about a kid drawing houses, I believe, but there was some kind of. Very intelligent remark I was going to make, but that was last week, and I lost it when I started reading all this drivel. It's
1: like constructions of house and the rigidity.
0: See, there's a knob on the door. People go in the house.
1: Um, I don't know where the the Holocaust thing came from. I like to, uh, In that section on 189, the second paragraph down is, uh, there's a... It's talking about how a lot of kids don't put doorknobs on doors, and they say this is a kinesthetic sign, so frequently forgotten in the drawings of tense
0: children. Right. was
1: interesting
0: thing. Yeah, that was cool. Maybe I wrote the page number down wrong. No, there was definitely something about the Holocaust, and it was... Um, I'm not going to be able to remember it now. I thought it had something to do with uh, the kids from the Holocaust drawing... the houses or doors or something and it had something to do with trauma and like maybe the house was a manifestation of trauma or something i i i don't remember i lost because his kids were also drawing remember in school their pages were just black and they were drawing um you know pretty much the house but it was growing so eventually the pages they might have had borders but at some point they didn't have anything it was just solid black yeah, I don't remember. It was one of those things that I was reading it like midnight out of work and the next morning I was like, oh, I should just <laughs> jot this down real quick. I should have used sticky notes. I didn't think I was going to go too deep into this.
1: Yeah, it's like he has all these really cool, it, it seems like he's a, an idea guy. You know, it's like there, there are people that kind of daydream and stuff all the time and they never write. There are writers who probably should spend more time daydreaming thinking of something interesting before they write (coughs) james peck and then there's like these guys that danieluski seems like he's he's more of a daydreamer more of an idea guy and he doesn't know quite how to put his daydreams or his really nifty ideas and excerpts into a story so he just kind of meshes it all and hopes that it works
0: i feel like he comes up with his ideas in a visual format So, if this was, like, a movie or a TV show or something, like, you know, like, I feel like his, this writing is made to be viewed almost, like, a lot of it, and uh, even, like, a lot of the Johnny Truant stuff reads like you're just daydreaming, just, like, things run on, and I know it's, like, some of it's supposed to be his madness, but where he does that with inebriation, too, when people are drunk or something, it kind of just goes and rambles, and, Maybe it's just a hint of realism he was going for. But when you read it, it doesn't always seem to hit the mark that I think it was intended to. I mean, sometimes yeah. it does. I mean, I, I definitely get Stephen King's, you know, opinion that this is the Moby Dick of horror. Because it definitely is. Because like I said before, Moby Dick has so much nonsense about whaling and bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah. this, I mean, I'm surprised there isn't a section in here on whaling and what it means to... The dark depths of the ocean, in regards to the <laughs> eternal blackness of an endless hallway, <laughs> it's just stupid. I don't, I don't care. Yeah.
1: Oh man. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, when I was reading this, I tried. Uh, I had like a little sticky note app on my computer screen, and it was like it just in a moment of desperation because I hit a really dry, pointless watch of, like, French or something like that. (laughs) what the crap? Like, why is this in here? And so I I wrote out, like, what's the point of this book? And then I was just doing that because I was frustrated. But then afterwards, um, I was really thinking on it. And, you know, I I find that books either are meant to inform or they're meant to entertain. And this doesn't really do either for me. Like, I'm sure it entertains as somebody, someone, somewhere out there. Every book has its uh, has its audience, but, you know, as a whole, generally, you know, you write a book to entertain people, not to...
0: Well, I think this is definitely the modern art approach, where it's supposed to be something you experience, and, you know, you go to a modern art exhibit, a guy like me, I see red circles mixed with yellow circles. I go, okay, and but then you have people that are studying it, and they're going into the deeper meaning, and I feel like that's what he was going for in this. I just, again, maybe I'm not the audience for this book. I mean, I like good horror. I don't even feel like this is a horror book, even though that's what people classify it as, because yeah. it's, I mean, when it might get scary, like when they're in the, uh, you know, the endless corridors and all that stuff, what is that like if you actually combined that whole story in the navison records like that whole part the actual story part you probably get maybe a solid two chapters out of it if that because it's so scattered and broken up i just don't feel like and i feel like there wasn't even as of now not even a real completion to that because where i'm at now navison he's he gone he went back to the house and then he just disappeared but it didn't go into like him in the house or anything yet so uh, I don't I don't know what the fuck. Uh, but let's see. But I am I stopped right before the book gets all wonky again, so I am kind of excited to see what happens there. Like I'm literally on, I'm on 423 which is the Braille. <laughs> yeah. And then it just like it everything goes sideways and all. so hopefully that uh that gets in enter- and then it looks like a bunch of Johnny Truant stuff. But going backwards a little bit the whole thing about Karen they uh, there could not have been a worse part of this book for me Is the whole chapter as the whole chapter about Karen yeah
1: that, that prolonged transcript
0: uh, uh, and then breaking down her psyche and it, I feel like they're like I'm watching fucking Dateline here <laughs> like why do I need to know her childhood trauma and need an actual psychiatrists telling me what they think about it and like ugh endless fucking footnotes too dude yeah was like if if she had been a more central figure and character other than just
1: seemingly being in the story to be a bad person and it, it sounds almost like uh, she's kind of a bad mom too because she'll be like the kids will be playing or something them. she said yeah and she she just kind of ignores them or you know she's just like oh my only job is to make sure that they don't get hurt or something i was like that's a babysitter's job A parents job is <laughs>
0: She makes them watch each other.
1: Yeah, it's like,
0: uh, she does okay. like the one, the Chad, the son. He just randomly isn't in the house anymore for most of the story. He's just outside in the woods or in the tree. Like, and they don't care. Like, come on. Yeah. But there are handfuls of moments that really made me hate her guts. One when it talked about her refusing to marry Navison because yeah. I forget because she wanted to be a whore. I guess um, <laughs> she kissed that dude in the kitchen during these explorations, like right before they started, it's like, come on, what the fuck is that? There was the whole section a section about her infidelities when she was in New York and stuff. Like they just made her out to be like the worst person. Uh I just I, I did not like her character. She ignores the kids, but at the same time she doesn't want like they Luski tries to make it like she cares about Navison so much, even though she keeps cheating on him and stuff, but she cares about him so much that she won't let him go into into the blackness to investigate with everybody else which brings Holloway to his peak of douchiness and she won't let him do that and if he does then she's gonna move out and she's pretty much gave him ultimatum and I always hate that in like movies and stuff like it it reminds me of the old boxing movie trope where it's like you you take this fight I'm gonna take the kids and I'm leaving it's like we'll (laughs) leave bitch I'm gonna fight like (laughs) I don't care come on Catherine really really you take Nikki and Peppers, and you go. I don't care. I'm gonna fight. I got. I'm a man. I gotta. I gotta fight here, Sharon. I gotta. <laughs> uh, that's like. That's just a trope that I feel should have just died in the '80s. The woman hindering the man of you know holding him back from his greatness. Like, come on, just just stop doing that. That's that's stupid. Well, how about we actually get a woman that supports the man and wants him to be great? That's what I would like to read. Or finds her own greatness. How about that? Even better yet. She, the woman is the greatness and the, maybe the man's a piece of shit and holding her back for selfish reasons. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there we go. There Flip it awesome. on its ass. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I just... I don't... I don't see the point of her really. And I... You're, you're coming to, like, the... So you're the part where uh, Will goes back into the house, right? And that's what he just said.
0: He went back in the house and has disappeared, and Karen has inexplicably moved back into the house herself. Yeah. Okay. But now is, like, having a great time, but then, like, the blackness opened up behind her while she's watching a movie, so it's going to get – shit's going to okay. go down, I guess. I,
1: I remember there's like, a really
0: cheesy eye roll
1: <laughs> portion with her, and it's like, no, I, I, you're trying to make me like her or trying to redeem her, and – there's not. That's like, hey, I just killed all these 12 people, but I mowed your lawn for
0: you. Oh, how yeah, nice. Yeah,
1: but you still killed 12 people, so you're still a bad person.
0: You still suck ass. <laughs> um, she
1: might. She's a whore, so.
0: Oh, I'm sure she does. I'm, I'm glad that they made her start to get real ugly and stuff. Kind of like Johnny Truant, who just, at the end of this so far, he just got rotting teeth and has become a freak. <laughs> I like the uh, Delilo. Delilo, I think her name was. The uh, little African g- uh, girl in Sudan who... Which was... Well, I think they actually mentioned it, so it's not really stealing. But, like, the p- famous Pulitzer Prize winning photo of the vulture over the starving African child. Yeah. Pretty much also happened to Navison, I guess. And he won a Pulitzer Prize for it. And unlike the actual uh, photojournalist who end up committing suicide because of that, it shows, like, Navison going through similar emotions since that happened. And they... Like, he was screaming that girl's name in his sleep, and Karen always wondered who it was, and he, uh, like, that was drawn out throughout, just sprinkled in there, dude, just enough to remind you that it was there, so you wanted to know what happened, and then they finally tell you what it was, and I really did like that part. Yeah. Like, and I thought that was actually a good uh, character development on his part, because it shows maybe why he is so obsessive, and why he wants to go in this house so much, because he didn't save that girl and maybe he felt like he could have, and then Tom died right in front of him. He didn't save Tom, and he almost felt like he was the one that should have died. He should have been in there saving his own kid, not his brother. So I, that yeah. kind of touched me. I did like that. And that's what my problem with this fucking book is. There are parts like that, so I can't just give up on it, because I like that stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, like I said, I, I feel like he just didn't, he wanted to
1: write a book, but he didn't know how to. And so he was just kind of, like, oh, well, I have, I wrote this short story for my dying dad and then I shredded it into confetti. What else can I add to this now that my sister's taped it back up to make it even longer? It's like, well, everything except a story. Perfect.
0: Yay. All right. Not to mention all the parts with the, the X's. I think that was just because he couldn't read what he, he wrote because he was in that dumpster and it was too dark. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh you know what else really really infuriated me the random section where there was just chunks of words like chunks out of the words missing for way too long so you'd get like the word through but the o and "u" were gone and like it was just enough to disrupt your reading but then at some points it really disrupted your reading reading if you hit a word that you don't you haven't memorized the reading a bunch of times. So it's just like, oh, I don't. I want to go through this faster, not slower. I don't want to slow down. Maybe he just uh, felt it like his audience would be so bored by this point that he had to slow him down and get them back into it.
1: I, uh, I was looking it up, uh, trying to figure out how he did all the formatting and stuff. And I guess he did it himself. Like, he threw up, uh, flew to... Uh, uh, the publisher's headquarters and he did all the typesetting and stuff like that with some special program because he's like no only I can be trusted with you know the format but the, the vision of this book and I was like dude <laughs> you know I'm, every every writer feels like no I don't want an editor to to mess with my story but in the end it actually helps you, you know what? yeah, and that could have really helped you
0: <laughs> yeah I would imagine somebody going through and just being like Hey, maybe not replace every S with an F for ten pages. That's, that's kind of annoying because uh, some words get a little messed up. Like, uh, what was the one that threw me off? Um, I think it was the word "suck." You replace the S with an F, and I was like, "Wait a minute, what's happening?" It's like, "Oh, come on, dude!" I just why it it was it was stupid. I don't I don't know why he made that choice. I don't know why he makes a lot of the choices he made, other than. The, be shocking and new and fancy and a douche. I mean, it
1: got him famous, so I guess there's that.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's pretty much the drunken hobo on the street that got his big break. I guess.
1: Yeah, it sounds like he got the big break, and then he wrote um, a book of poetry called, I think it's only revolutions or something like that, and you you can read it backwards and forwards because there's two different uh, timelines on the top and the bottom he can't do anything normal yeah (laughs) Um, but but, uh he also like with the familiar stuff i just looked it up right now i guess uh, pantheon publishers like his publisher they dropped it after like volume four or five volume five um because sales were completely abysmal i was like yeah dude like everyone wants house of leaves because it's like reading you know the the old man in the sea or pride and prejudice so it's just like one of those things Stephen king's a shiny yeah you don't read any other Stephen king you're going to read the shiny because that's like quintessential
0: exactly this this is kind of one of them and it's like yeah
1: that's that's the only reason people are kind of buying your book dude it's never going to be made into a movie you can't and it's like it's it's just sort of different and that's why people read it it's
0: there was probably only one guy who was buying the familiar by the fifth volume, and that guy's name was suspiciously Donnie Fruent. <laughs> just some random dude like Wait a minute, something's going on here. And he happens to just have Daniel Lewski's home address as his address for his Amazon shipping. <laughs> yeah. I just Mark. Um, are you buying your own book? <laughs>
1: I've been, in my, uh, I've been over here in my dumpster the
0: whole time. I will say, this guy put a great deal of effort into this book. I will give him that. It looks like if he put his mind to it, he could write a solid story, maybe. I can't tell if he can actually do a beginning, middle, and end of something. But like you said, the daydreaming, he definitely has the ideas. The ideas are cool, and ideas can take you a long way, as this has shown. But the execution of those ideas is just as important, in my opinion. And if this book came out, if there was already a House of Leaves-style book, this probably would have never came out. Nobody would have gave a shit. It's just because it was so original and new. Yeah. Much like, as I, you know, just go back to it, The Blair Witch. The Blair Witch was original and cool at the time, but everything after that, was stupid found footage movies, they all suck. <laughs> Nobody wants to see yeah. shaky camera and awful dialogue. It's just... The, the first of something is cool after that, it's like, okay, we get it. Let's do something new.
1: You, you can have uh, a handful of people, kind of like in the, uh, the Beat generation. Now, uh, I mean, you had uh, Kerouac and uh, all them that were uh, uh, William S. Burroughs uh, that were kind of new. They were these poets, they were these novelists writing about edgy, nasty, uncomfortable topics like drug addiction. And... That that's cool. That that's that's interesting. It definitely is a breath of fresh air after reading, you know, decades of nothing but Hemingway. Mm -hmm. Um, However, you got to progress from that. You can't only write,
0: you know, beat generation stuff. And that's when we got the the kind of revival of horror in the
1: late seventies and eighties and all that. But it's like this this definitely had a very select time period. I think it thrived in.
0: Yeah, now it's just petered out.
1: So I'm plenty of, like, top 50 most difficult breeds. I was like, yeah, you're not
0: kidding. Well, the hilarious thing about this book is it has not aged well, just because the revolution of technology since then. Just, I mean, it was, it was like a little thing. He called it a cellular phone. <laughs> like, yeah. Just because, you know, there was new 2000. That, that was something. But it's just like, well, technology would really change this whole House of Leaf story now, like the way things are. So, I mean, that'd be kind of cool to revisit it if you had a modern lens. Like, oh, maybe somebody they go back. somebody else bought the house, but now it's modern technology. You could do some things with that. That'd be kind of neat. Not with all this random other bullshit we don't need. Because Every, everybody in this book that is giving information for the Navison record just wrote an encyclopedia on the Navison record. Yeah. It's like, oh, we had to condense this because it was 800 pages. Oh, why would somebody write 800 pages on this? I was, I was looking up
1: some summaries and everything like that because I would be like, am I crazy for thinking X, Y, or Z? And it's like, buy our summary. It's, you know, 789 pages. Or this one is 1,200 pages of summary. I was like, that's not a summary.
0: That's bigger than the actual novel.
1: <laughs> uh, that, that's... I don't know where you got your definition of summary. That's not
0: it. Well, just to change gears for a second, since, well, we're about out of time anyway, so good as time as any. I, uh... Like I told you off air, I've been really trying to plow through this book because I just fucking want to end it so I can read something better. (laughs) So I have a Japanese noir book called Grotesque, which is about dead hookers or something. It sounds very interesting. And uh, unfortunately, I just got it in the mail today, and I did not realize it was like 600 pages. So I was like, oh, that was a poor choice, like another doorstop. I wanted a break from the doorstops. Should (laughs) have looked up the page count before I got that but we are going to read if you wanted to hop aboard a book called The Black by it's one of the inspirations for this podcast the dead robot society podcast the uh one of the current hosts his name is Paulie Cooley he's a pretty successful like indie author and he goes through like a lot of small presses and stuff the black is um from what i remember about a oil well team i think Drilling in the Ocean, and they, I want to say they uncover some kind of giant monster of the deep. So that seems like that'll be a little fun read to get into after this yeah. house at least. So if you want to jump aboard that, me and Spencer are going to do an episode on it just for fun. All
1: right.
0: Sounds, uh, sounds kind of Cthulhu-esque, almost. <laughs> yeah, um, he mainly seems to write uh, horror and hard sci-fi. I wouldn't say hard sci-fi, maybe space... Uh, what what is that genre like? marine space marines, whatever that genre is. He uh writes a lot of stuff in that, so I'm very interested to because I listened to him for years on the podcast, but I've never actually checked out his work. So it got, I mean, it's got good reviews and stuff, and they have a good following. So you must know what he's doing. So that'll be interesting. Whether it's Godzilla or Cthulhu or something. I mean, I'm my only problem. I think it's like a trilogy or something. So I'll probably just read the first book, like I do everything else. <laughs> I mean, I read Dune and I loved it, and uh, I did not read the other fifteen editions of Dune. <laughs> like, I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. It's too much. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to look it up. Who's the author? Paul E. I typed Cooley. In the
1: black and then book, and it's bringing up a bunch of racist stuff.
0: <laughs> not surprising. Um, yeah, if you look the black up on Pornhub, it comes up very different. No, um, look, uh, Paul E. Cooley, C O O L E Y. And it's just the black. Oh, there we go. Because he, I forget how much that was. I ordered the paperback, though, because I am a paperback type of guy.
1: Oh, it's got a tentacle on the front. (laughs) Mm hmm. I'm in shit and aroused.
0: I got it in the mail yesterday, and it's actually a pretty big, I mean, not page count wise, but like just the width of it and stuff. It's like the uh, House of Leaves. It's kind of wide and tall, so interesting. I like the choice. But at worst, it's terrible, and we don't actually put out the episode, because I don't want to shit on somebody that I might go on their podcast at some point.
1: <laughs> That's probably wise.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it should be pretty good, because uh, he has a lot of fans, so... I mean, I guess that doesn't mean... It. James Patterson has fans, too. <laughs> 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 and Daniel Luski has one fan, so... Not me. Yeah. A Bunch of modern art fucks. Guys named Shiloh and Skyler. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick reprieve before we end this. How has your writing been going? I have not talked to you about it lately.
1: it uh, it's it's going. Um, did a did a weird piece that uh, I finished while I was at my in-laws' house, and then uh, and I was hyped up on painkillers at that time. So that'll so be interesting. That's, that's like the one sent you sent me, didn't?
0: That's the one for DPW. Say what? Is that the one for DPW? I will be checking that I still haven't had time to read it. I was, uh, what day did you send that to me? Uh,
1: sa- either Saturday or Sunday, I think.
0: Right. I ended up doing, uh, over the weekend, uh, float tank section at the, uh, some float lab, which was very interesting. Then got a bunch of Indian food, and it was a very interesting weekend. But I, I did not get, in, get any reading or writing done, and then I got in a fucking Spanish competition with some Japanese lady, so that's a long story. uh anyway (laughs) if if you folks want to get in on some sweet book talk you can uh give us some ideas of what you think we should read at uh hit us up on drunkenpenwriting.com or probably a little bit faster hit us up on twitter at drunkpenwriting. though i will say my personal twitter i am becoming very disenfranchised and just Seem not to care too much. I don't know about you, Mister Ashley Hatter, but I am very, very done with Twitter. I think.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty much there in the same boat. I'm. I'm over all the griping and
0: self-inflation and all that stuff. I'm. I'm done inflating myself. I mm. think <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. No more self-inflation. <laughs> I. Uh, I've. I've. I kind of did a little test here to see, like I would do. Uh, just a random tweet about books or something like that to see what I would get. And then I also, I forget when, I did like a poll to see what that, like a generic stupid poll. And of course the poll did what, like better. So I'm thinking like it is really the superficial dumb stuff people go for on there. That's not why I'm trying to connect with people. So I don't know what the, where I go. Maybe I'll just try to make a name on Goodreads or something. There's, at least there's writers and readers on there that, like to talk about writing and reading, unlike the actual writers, quotation marks, on uh, Twitter.
1: <laughs> the eye roll was
0: palpable in that. Uh, I've, ju- I've just heard or read so many stati- or tweets about, like, today it was just all polls. Like, I scrolled through for about one minute, and it was just all polls on random stuff. Again, you know, what's your protagonist's favorite colored underwear? Like, just why? What is this? You're just trying to get people to read... You're, you're like to interact with you, I guess, but what's the point if there's no substance? And of course, it gets like eighty retweets and fifty comments. I'm like, who gives a fuck? Like, why are you talking about this? Go write something.
1: It's like, oh my, hashtag writer's life. I haven't been able to write today. I was like, yeah, it's because all
0: you do is talk about writing. Like, you just talk about. You know, you need to actually sit down and
1: put words to paper if you want to be a writer. Stop aspiring to be a writer
0: good sir it is the romantic notion and idea of what it is to be a writer that people like more than the actual writing because writing is work they like to see you know the uh the ideals of hemingway and maybe a jack kerouac crossing the country or even like a you know rest in peace anthony bourdain where you go across the world you go to these fancy places and you write about it it's it's cool you go to paris You know, old Paris, sit and uh, eat baguettes with French people, I don't know. (laughs) Like, they like that idea, but they don't like the idea of actually sitting down and writing, which you know what great writers do? They write. You know what phonies do? They talk about writing. We should start a, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a good name for it, some kind of association where we just talk shit on fake writers. Kind of like what hipsters do with everybody. They just talk about, oh, you're not down with the scene. You just a pretender. You're a poser. I want to be like that, like the old '80s punk guy who hates on people that think they're punk, <laughs> like that. Uh, what was it, Salt, uh, SLC Punk? That you ever see that movie? I don't think so. It's a, it's an awesome movie starring Matthew Lillard. Uh, I think it was from the '90s, and it's about the Salt Lake City punk scene. And I want to say the '80s or early '90s. And, like, the one guy in it, like, everybody has mohawks and all this crazy shit, but the one guy is dressed, like, literally like Steve Urkel. He has, you know, the button-up uh, striped shirt and big glasses, but he's, like, the hardest punk motherfucker out of them all. He beats up cops and all kinds of stuff. So, <laughs> like, that's what, I, that's what I think of when I think of writers. It's, like, it's not the person talking about writing and writer's life. It's someone that's actually writing and doing shit. Like, that's the fucking real writer. It doesn't matter what they look like or what they're, like, it's the work content that comes out. And I am not seeing that on Twitter. I do not see quality work for the most part. Because I've checked out people's books. Like excerpts and stuff. And I'm just like, really? Come on now. Preach. Yeah, preach, motherfucker. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) And I mean, as you know, because you introduced me to a certain writer group. I will not name any names. And I'm pretty sure none of them check out the podcast. Because they don't check out anything that anybody posts. Because they're so self-indulged with their own stuff. (laughs) But... There are certain people that I've experienced firsthand that literally just talk and talk and talk, and they don't listen at all. So, what are you interacting for? What is the point? Oh, but I regress. I'm drinking this fancy Founders Rubus pure. Rat- I don't even know how to say this word. R U with two dots over it. B A E U S. And the A and U are connected. Or the A and E are connected. It's fancy. That's what uh-huh. it is.
1: Sounds European.
0: Well, Founders isn't European, but it does sound a little European. (laughs) They don't wear pants when they go to the beach. Well, I guess nobody does. They don't wear (laughs) swim trunks when they go to the beach. They wear Speedos or thongs, and that's weird. I don't like it. They're overly tan, and they don't have muscle tone, and they're very hairy in places that don't deserve hair. I should probably go to Europe before I start talking shit about Europeans, especially since a lot of our listeners come from the UK now. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, in case you wonder, we got a good uh, chunk, maybe 10% of the listening pod, uh, podcast listeners come from the UK and Australia, and surprisingly South Africa, and I have not nailed that market. I don't know how to appeal to South Africans. Oh,
1: I, don't I don't know. know. That's, that's interesting, though.
0: Yeah. I mean, I noticed that's the only part of Africa that's like white people, but still, (laughs) that's a a step in the right direction.
1: You need to sound more ethnic, and then you'll get some uh, some more views on the other side of the world.
0: To be fair, I probably sound ethnic to the other side of the world, because Americans, and especially me, since I'm from closer to the Pittsburgh area, have terrible accents to anybody else, especially the British folk. You got one of them uh, old Missouri-type accents out there in the Midwest... I don't even know what you're talking about. Hey there, hoss. You know what I is talking about. Alabama man. Uh, well, didn't Missouri just get hit with another series of just horrible floods?
1: Yes, it did.
0: That's wonderful news, huh? I'm glad I never saw that on the news at all. I just had to look it up.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure God's mad at us or something like that because it just it won't stop.
0: What, what did Missouri do to anybody? You guys have seemed like you haven't been doing any fuckery or lately. Uh, I I, I, don't, I don't know
1: what we do. We just we're
0: just here. I don't know. You're just too flat or something. I guess. <laughs> too close to rivers or some shit.
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe it's punishment for not doing anything. It's like oh uh, Missouri.
0: You know what? I'm pretty sure Missouri invented the gambling steamboats of yesterday. Maybe that's what you're getting punished for. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Where's does Mississippi? Did Mississippi River run through Missouri? Along
1: our east side.
0: Woo, that is fucking cool, man. I don't know about your fancy river, our fancy Allegheny River's brown, so... It's actually two shades of brown, because it connects with the Ohio River, and you have two separate browns that don't mix, and I think that's strange. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is this water made of where the browns don't mix? There's a solid line. I think that's really weird. It's kind of disturbing. I think one's swamp water and one's, uh, I don't know, poo water or something.
1: Poo.
0: Hey. <laughs> wonder how much of this I'm going to have to cut out of the actual podcast episode.
1: Hey, we didn't make any dick jokes.
0: Um, you know what? I don't think me and Spencer just did a brainstorming episode for a novel that he's going to write, apparently. And I don't believe we talked about dicks once. So that's that's a record. Wait a minute. No, 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 no penises. We talked about other organs, but no penises. <laughs>
1: be interesting to see the views on that one if they go way down you're gonna have to throw lots of dicks
0: in the next one. Oh, there's gonna be lots of dicks regardless because i can't can't get well now we kind of broke it now we're talking about dicks why does it always be dicks it makes me want to read that noir book even more now i don't know if japanese get the whole private dick uh <laughs> The the old detective references there. I don't know what it's like. I I should have probably read a regular noir before I went to it because I don't have any experience in reading old crime fiction, so reading random Japanese crime fiction is going to be a treat, I guess. I don't know know what to expect.
1: I've never read it either, so I don't know what to say.
0: One guy put it in his top five classics of all time, up there with uh, Old Man in the Sea, East of Eden, books like that, so I'm thinking it's going to be pretty solid. Or it's gonna be hot garbage. I don't know. Somebody else said it was trash. (laughs) We'll see. I like me some Japanese fiction. I just don't always like the translations. Well, anyway, we should probably end this episode. Well over the hour mark, and I mean I could ramble nonsense for hours, but I don't really want to. I feel like I ramble more just because the fucking book was so boring. (laughs) The stupid
1: House of Leaves. Struggling to find something interesting to talk
0: about, it's like oh my god! You got to try to break some, you know, meaning out of it that's not already overly established in the book to death. So I would say for the next episode, maybe we should just try to finish this bitch. Do you think you could finish it by next week? I'll I'll
1: sniff some math and get through it or something
0: like that. Well, like I said, like I'm at the. Uh, hold on, let, me, let me finger this bad boy real quick. So I'm at 423, it looks like literally one and a half pages of solid text, and then it goes into 20, about 20 pages of just one, three word nonsense kind of stuff, goes back into some dense text, so it looks like you only actually have a solid maybe chapter of real writing, and the rest is just nonsense. You can probably finish it by, you know, a couple days, if that. Well, I mean, you're a little farther behind than me, but I think I can finish this bitch in about an hour and 22 minutes. Challenge accepted. Yeah, Mark Z's Daniel Lusky going to get a bad review from me on the Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they did half stars. he getting get two and a half whole stars. That didn't even make sense. Two and a half whole stars. Two and a half whole stars. Yeah, boy. What? Oh, man. I feel like I should wear a Flavor Flav clock when I read this book. Maybe that's just me. I just—I don't know why I get the urge. Maybe some iced-out girls. Go away. I feel like when I read this book, I'm listening to Tech Nine in reverse. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, <laughs> it just—it just really fast rapping in reverse. I'm like, I never really don't understand what this gentleman is saying.
1: <laughs> it's got a funky beat,
0: though. Ooh, it's so funky. <laughs> Ah all right well we hope you folks have the the best of evenings or, or mornings i don't know wherever what time is it in south africa right now i have no idea south africans love our house of leaves discussion maybe this book's huge over there i don't know see you folks later